the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. podcast welcome back justin i'm so happy to be back me too um before we get going with this uh, episode uh this is something that hasn't happened yet um we've been doing the podcast but we did make an error uh in our last episode uh for but i'm a cheerleader and we kind of wanted to clear the air before we get into our movie of discussion today which is new jack city so yeah, Joel Michaeli, who is one of the stars of But I'm a Cheerleader, reached out to us on Instagram, and you know it's always kind of a little embarrassing when uh, one of the stars points out an error, but we did, and it, it's worth mention. It's, um, but I'm a Cheerleader did was officially released in 2000 and not 1999. It was released in some on on the film festival circuit in 1999 but not officially until 2000 and when he made us when he let us know our error we had already recorded the episode and had already released it so we just wanted to make that correction now and you know and hope that we don't make too many errors we try to research the best we can but something's always going to squeak by Uh, i hate the fact that it's something as obvious as a release date but you know i'm glad we're making the correction now I I knew I knew that there was that discrepancy, but I just kind of erred on the earlier side. But you know, we are sorry. Yeah. So, but I'm a cheerleader. Released in 2000, not 1999. But let's move on to our future for this episode, which I'm really excited about, and that's New Jack City, which was released in 1991. <laughs> Good job, and Justin. I know for a fact. Good job, Justin. Yes, I'm so happy we're doing New Jack City. I've always considered New Jack City to be my Scarface. The way Monster Squad has always been my Goonies. Yeah. New Jack City has always been my Scarface. And I've never been a big fan of Scarface. I was just going to say, I like New Jack City much better than Scarface. That'll be part of the discussion today. So, New Jack City, why I've wanted to do it for a while. Uh, This is, to me, I put this up there with some of the best gangster movies. And then this one is is nicer because it's even like a more urban like modernized, especially for the time, modernized gangster movie that also like brings in all the elements of of what makes good gangster movies. But I also later would like to do a little compare and contrast with Scarface Scarface, because I think this movie pays tribute to Scarface, but this one I think is on it, you know, has its own thing going on too. Yeah, I I feel like it set the tone for anything to kind of come after it that was... You know, kind of set in an urban setting and dealt with whether it was like crime, drugs, any 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 dealings like that, like gang situations. This movie really set the tone. And I think there's just a massive intelligence behind this one as compared to really anything else. And this is another just like a crazy good first film from a first time director. Yeah. I mean, Mario Van Peebles just sort of. He knew what he was doing. Gate, like, you know, in another actor turned director who sort of is coming from that angle so a couple mm-hmm. things we'll talk about uh mario van peebles the actor's director we'll talk about the cast because a lot of the this cast were names that you know extremely well now that now, are huge yeah but this was their sort of first time on the scene 
We'll talk about how this is sort of like a somewhat of a period piece, somewhat based on a true story. Mm -hmm. Like I said, comparisons to Scarface. What are some other things we've got on the uh, list here? You know, one thing that I like the most about this is that that it's a movie about, uh, I mean, not that it's a movie about gang life and, and drugs, but its approach to it and what it's trying to say about it. And that the that the so many so many times movies about drugs or anything like that it's um <laughs> I I'm left kind of always being like man kind of want to try it and see see what you know see what that uh, cocaine's about but um <laughs> this movie is not glorifying drugs and I I really appreciate it a lot for that yeah yeah nothing about this movie made me want to. No, Get some crack after never, never after thought about doing crack after it at all. So we'll talk about uh, some New Jack City. After that, we'll have our picks of the week. What was your pick of the week? Mine this time out was Demolition Man, starring Leslie Snipes of New Jack City. I started watching a little bit of that uh, <laughs> as you when you told me that. Uh, it, yeah, it's a good one. It's pretty fun. I can't wait to talk about it. It's yeah, even after all these years, uh, I'm still very entertained by it. It's pretty silly. Well, I went for a connected to New Jack City uh, via Mario Van Peebles, also directing the bio docudrama uh, Badass, which is a movie about his dad uh, making a sweet, sweet backs badass song. So I'll get into that. I can't wait to hear about pretty this one. personal movie for him, but yeah. it's extremely, extremely good. Um, as always, we'll have our Murray moments, but before we get into our first clip from New Jack City, can you tell us what it's about? I would be happy to. It is about a crime lord that goes from like the low rungs of drugs and crime to high time dealing around the city while a maverick cop vows to, oh, maverick couple cops, about to put it into his reign of terror over their city and community. I mean, there's a lot of subplots in this too, but I'd say it's a pretty good overview of it. Yeah, sort of two stories going on simultaneously mm-hmm. between the cops and the. the I mean, you're the, the drug runners. Yeah, there, there's the whole story of of the guys that are in the drug ring, and then you know why. Again, we've got a movie where. Where you've got cops that you're like, man, those are some great cops. Why can't every cop be like that? Yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie's like. Well, uh, we'll go to our first clip, and then we'll come back and talk about New Jack City. Right on. Times like these, people want to get high. Real high and real fast. And this is going to do it. And make us rich. I mean, what? People going crazy over this? I mean, really, it looked like cracked off pieces of soap. The Colombians and the Dominicans have shown us the way. The shit is large, but we're going to do it differently. Gone are the days of selling on the street corners. You change the product, you change the marketing strategy. I've seen the future, y'all. And its name is the Carter. Hold up, hold up, Nino. The Carter Apartments, man, that joint is big. What's up? Yo, baby, we talking about combinate and consolidate. That's what up. You're not thinking I'm taking over the Carter. Yeah, we taking over the Carter. We're going to bum rush the whole damn thing. Now, just imagine. If the tenants cooperate, oh, it's lovely. I mean, they become loyal customers. They don't. 
<laughs> Fuck it, it's like in Beirut. They become living hostages. You're gonna set up a lab here to make the product. Kareem, you can hook up the computer system. Watch out for the workers, the money, and the product. The Dutta man, Keisha, we need a security force. Ward off the rival crews to screen out the customers. We also need lookouts here, 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 and here. Alert us of 5-0. One place to make the product. One place to collect our money. <laughs> we will own this fucking city. Uh, so to start out, just a little background on New Jack City. Because um, this was the first for a lot of people, writer, director, actors. So the script in New Jack City existed uh, for a while, uh, written by Thomas Lee Wright. And there was a, and I'm not sure what kind of story consisted in the original script. The original version. But mm-hmm. uh, there was an investigative journalist uh, by the name of Barry Michael Cooper. And he did a couple of articles that were like in the Village Voice. They got pretty big and they were centered around crack in the 80s and kids sort of killing like kids kids little, killing kids inner yeah. cities sort of like collapsing on themselves because of the drug problems and yeah. police not caring and people sort of like disregarding this problem because it was happening in lower income neighborhoods and that article was read by Quincy Jones who was uh looking for someone to rewrite the script to New Jack City so he was hired by Quincy Jones and he basically took some of the basis of his articles and mesh that into the story mm-hmm. about someone that was producing drugs in the middle of the city and then selling it to people and taking over neighborhoods and it becoming like a big problem. And you've got that original writer, that Thomas Lee Wright, coming from writing Godfather 3. So he had kind of had some experience in writing Yeah, that the kind original of genre. writer, yeah. yeah. So the original writer, it was already set up yes. as like this gangster story, yeah. yeah. But this, uh, I think that what... Um, yeah, you know, Barry Michael Cooper brought was like sort of the urban, yeah. uh, more contemporary, like a contemporary problem that like really existed based off of something that was happening yeah. at that moment. I mean, New Jack City is pretty cutting edge. That's one of the things that I like about it. Now, maybe it, it seems dated, but at the time, this came out in 91. It's totally it still dealing, relevant. It was dealing, but it was yeah. dealing with a fairly, you know, problem that like erupted in like the, the mid to late 80s. But at the time, really wasn't getting much media attention yeah it went from like heroin to cocaine to crack and this was kind of like the transition into crack and so once this uh, solid screenplay you know they had like this very uh new version of the movie mario van peebles who had grew up in the entertainment industry his father was a groundbreaking director uh, mario van peebles had not been in too many movies. I mean, he had only been in, I think, like six or seven movies and really only one starring role of a movie that rapping that didn't really uh, take off, like his career didn't take off from that. But he had just been in Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood sort of yeah. helped him lobby to direct New Jack City. I think it's like it was pretty bold of Mario Van Peebles to kind of go for some non-experienced actors like... Uh, Picking mm-hmm. Ice T to play like a main pivotal role, uh, you know, Ice T was like had already established himself as like a pretty successful rapper, but as an actor, had really, I think he like had like a tiny bit part in Breaking and Breaking Two. Yeah, he was, that, like the DJ, but nothing substantial where he had all these lines and had to play like a particular character. And, and he, then you know, you think when you're gonna have your first like shot in a movie that it's going to be a bit part, not necessarily one of the starring roles in the movie. And also having him play 
pretty much the antithesis of of everything that he had created like, like kind of who he was and yeah and what he represented sort of like playing yeah he a, had a police officer is like he definitely had some history of like you know being in gangs and like being involved with drugs and crime and things like that and i think ice T brought a lot of authenticity to this movie because i mean mario van peebles came from a family that had been established in acting and like he wasn't really plugged into like this world that is in new jack city so he needed a little bit of help and credibility in making that believable that's that's where you get iced tea this is a movie that feels very gritty and real but at the same time I think that Mario Van Peebles did a good job of making this also kind of a slick movie. I mean, it does have this authenticity and it does have its, like I said, its grittiness, but it also has this like great opening shot and it kind of like shows the city of Harlem and it really shows like a piece of New York. The opening shot's and, awesome, yeah, I have yeah, to it's say. Yeah, just like this, you know, <laughs> big shot, sweeping aerial shot that goes into the first scene of- You're like, this is going to be a movie about New York. Yeah, and it really, to me- that's like a sign of a good director, someone that's like, I want to take what's good about a little film and what's good about a big film, combine them together. Certainly, I can see that he was like heavily influenced by Scorsese and, and De Palma and like these directors that have known to yeah. do that. You know, they, they can do a character piece, but then they can also do these sort of like really lush big sweeping shots and well, I think what's what's brilliant about that is because you're you know on that first shot of overlooking you know the city and you you think okay I'm I'm in for this it's it's a movie about the inner city in New York and like you get this overwhelming feeling and you're not sure what you're prepared for but then you know by like the third sweeping shot of this like zooming into the city we zoom into something that like I wasn't expecting and that's the first shot there of Wesley Snipes and his uh, cohort like holding this guy by his feet off the what is it 59th Street bridge and I mean they end up dropping him in there see ya wouldn't want to be ya and and you're like whoa dude I'm not only am I already overwhelmed from minute one knowing that this is going to be a big movie, but we see how big it is. And then this little thing that's happening that we zoom into and realize that this is like a huge thing that's about to blow up. Yeah. And you, and I do like that we get the sense that right away, this is a big character. I yeah. mean, this is a guy who can uh, just, you know, snap his fingers and have, have somebody just killed. And he hasn't even reached the height of his, yeah, this uh, is Damien. still when he's when like. We meet him. We meet him. He's already like. He's like this medium. Sort of like, yeah, he's not yeah. like low rung. Yeah. anything like he's 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 medium. But I do like <laughs> it. Is a very as far as opening sequences goes to movies. This is up there with among some of my favorite opening sequences. It really just take you directly into like what this you know what you're in for. Yeah, um, doesn't waste any time. You you know that you're in for something that's going that's about to get much larger. Yeah. And this is like we said, you know, there's there's a lot of subplots that happen in this movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think that there's anything that's like meandering like everything to me feels like it propels the story. Mm-hmm. And I also think that this is a very like breakneck movie. I mean, this is, you know, most of these sort of like huge gangster like epic movies yeah. clock in at two and a half to 3 hours. I mean, this one is <laughs> 
like an hour and like 48 minutes yeah. and just kind of really moves along. It, it never, um, it, there's never anything that lingers or gets boring. Like we're, we're moving to each step. You're seeing the, the setup to, to how this drug ring like starts small and gets huge. You're seeing the, all of the inner workings of how every, like, I feel like I understand how a whole giant drug ring works after yeah, watching new jack city and i think too it's great because we're at like the beginning of the second act whenever yeah their whole empire kind of falls yeah and they have to rebuild and you know ice t's character starts to infiltrate like goes undercover and i feel like in a regular sort of gangster movie we wouldn't even be getting that like the end of the movie would be like their empire falling falling and yeah. then there'd just be this sort of like wrap up but this really goes like beyond this really takes you through the stages without making you sit through, mm-hmm. you know, hours and hours of like extended periods, which I'll get into with Scarface, like this sort of like extended yeah. lifestyle that, you know, they show at New Jack City. Like, here's the deal. Here's how they here's how these these guys live all this money and all this flashiness. But then we're. we're we're not going to spend like an hour of the movie on that. There are a lot of instances in this movie where they kind of wrap things up in a in a montage, which is great um, because it kind of cut. We we get exactly what's happening. We you know we get that they're getting money and they're getting flashy clothes and new haircuts and everything, but we don't need to experience that in a elongated lapse of time we can wrap that up in a montage yeah to get on with the plot speaking of montages yeah one of my favorite montages the acapella guys singing while they're doing the uh yeah how they start their their crack business and how they distribute it and how everything works um yeah i have in my notes here yeah the acapella singing over like the this is when Wesley Snipes, his crew is taking over an apartment building very aggressively. You know, this whole montage is breaking into people's apartments and basically like, you know, either you're down with this or we're kicking you out and we're taking over this building. It's a montage of counting money, drugs just kind of like flowing everywhere. All of a sudden they have this compound and uh, they're just tripping over money at this point yeah well and another thing that this movie does too and we kind of briefly mentioned was it it is it, this is an anti-drug movie very I mean, much so and, and it does take a stance i feel like it takes a stance on drugs it takes a stance on the downside of of living um this sort of like quick to make money gangster lifestyle mm-hmm. and very much the same way i feel like goodfellas is another movie that seems like it's glorifying these gangster guys in the beginning of the movie, but then we have the scene in Goodfellas where Joe Pesci's character, they're all having a good time, they're drinking, and then Joe Pesci's character murders the sort of like assistant guy, Spider, who the guy is just, yeah, you see like how ruthless of an environment that it actually is, and it's not really fun. You know, it's like you can make a lot of money and there's some good times, but then at any second you could be like, assassinated or murdered yeah and i think this movie does very much the same thing it shows a little bit of like how that oh it'd be great to have this money and you know power and all this stuff but then you see how despicable these characters can be like you know wesley snipes you know brown character picking up a little girl and using her as a Ooh. as a uh, shield yeah whenever they're having uh there, you know another crew like come you know assassinate come after them assassinate them at a, at a wedding and 
That scene is important because, you know, Nino Brown is, even though he's putting on this, this wedding for, you know, friends or for particular people in this community, you see how involved he is in the community. And we see this numerous times throughout the movie, but it's kind of like this double-edged sword, you know, whether it's like he's facilitating this wedding or he's handing out turkeys you know to to homeless people the scene where he's like giving money to like little kids like to it's like all of this setup of these these innocent seeming things that he's you see how he's very established in the community but you i mean he's he's evil you know you show that change where later the neighborhood yeah. Almost beat a kid to death over five dollars. Yeah. And the neighborhood is like wants Eno Brown out. They're like Yeah. They don't want that and sinister I think character in their neighborhood. It it's really kicked off by or where we actually like see it is when he holds that little girl up to like take a bullet. I mean it, it does she doesn't take a bullet for him, but he holds her up as a shield. And that's where we're like Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I ever had any sympathy for him now, now I know he's like not a good person at all. And I think the the moral voice from like one of the first scenes where we see Nino Brown really uh, asserting his dominance when he's kicking the landlord out of the um, apartment complex that he's taking over, we see from that moment until the climax at the at the very end of the movie, the only person that we establish as an elder, and I think Bill Cobbs, who's the actor, Bill Cobbs' character is only known as like the old man in the movie, but we understand that it's like this elder of the community is the only one that can see or that it's an older generation or that he's representing an older generation. He sees the facade. He yeah. sees exactly what Nino Brown is while... The younger generation can be, you know, easily swayed, whether it's by yeah. money or clothes or just being seemingly nice, giving food, whatever it is. It's the elders that are like, this guy's no good. We got to get him out. Well, we'll uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the cast with Ice-T, but uh, we'll go to another clip. We'll come back. We'll talk about the other first timers mm-hmm. and uh, talk a little bit, too, about the music. Yeah. New Jack City. Yeah. I'm on the run, G. You can never go back to where it was. But, tell you how we can make it right. CMB. CMB! Man, we all we got. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Uh, So as we were saying before, this was the first time director for Mario Van Peebles, first time acting role for uh, Ice-T, but we also had a first major role for Chris Rock, probably what I would say is one of his few dramatic roles. And yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's, had, he's had some, you know, things where he's dramatic in his role, but but this this one specifically... To play a big crackhead. Yeah. Um, and he's said that uh, 
people still remember him. They'll like yell out, hey, Pookie. And people like during his stand up yeah. and stuff. There's quite a few heart wrenching scenes in, in this movie. But Pookie, he's a crackhead who gets busted by Ice-T, cleans up his act or seemingly so, turns total narc for the cops, infiltrates Nino Brown's like compound. Anyway, he relapses while he's there and his relapse scenes where he's like fighting their urge to smoke crack again it's painful don't you think justin like one i mean we already said that this is an anti-drug movie but one it's like super gross it's just like he's like sweaty and desperate and And crying and it's it's awful to watch chris chris rock is definitely skinny i mean he's always been skinny yeah but man the scene where he's like on the bed like smoking crack i mean he looks like and, like he weighs, shirtless he and looks like, like he weighs like 80 yeah. pounds i mean and like a scene when he um when he i think this is this is before he cleans up his act and he is uh messed up with this woman and he like attacks her um that scene is super messed up too just his performance in this movie is really incredible yeah, but he does bring some well yeah well-needed humor to the <laughs> yeah. to the role too. I think before Chris Rock came on, comedian Martin Lawrence was up for this role too, and he had something else come up in his life, and Chris Rock was brought on. Man, I cannot picture Martin Lawrence as Pookie at all. I've always had a really big soft spot for Martin Lawrence, so I, I like know. Martin Lawrence, but, but I just he, I don't see him. He's doing, kind of I a, can't picture him playing a crackhead. He's like a baby face, though. Like he's he he looks too. Not that Chris Rock doesn't look sweet or something, but I don't know. I Chris Rock fits this part more i feel like but he he really does nail this it's real sad real sad and yeah he is funny in some of his the enterprise line i can't remember it exactly yeah (laughs) i tried to remember the drug room that they all goes like damn enterprise like beat me up sky yeah exactly so high it's like (laughs) and going back again to the fact that this movie feels very authentic and real like some of the some of the lingo that's used in this you're just like I've never heard of that or I never would have thought of that, but I'm sure that that's a thing. Yeah. It totally feels real. And Chris Rock really does bring it, bring it to this movie. Anyway, <laughs> we need to keep on the with cast. the cast. Wesley Snipes. Yeah. And so when New Jack City started filming, Wesley Snipes was actually like the least famous person. Yeah. Uh, he had really not done too many things. I mean, he was in a handful of movies, got a little notice from being in Major music, League. Major League, the music oh, yeah. video for Bad. Wildcats. I think the music video for Bad is what got him it uh, was. where they he people were convinced he could play this sort of streetwise character. Um, Michael I Jackson think, uh, Bad in case we need to say yeah, that. I think during the uh filming of Bad, which um was directed by Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't realize that Wesley Snipes was an actor and that he sort of plays like a gang leader in the music video for Bad. And a lot of people thought that they had just gotten somebody off the street and they didn't realize that he had was like a well-trained actor. Nino Brown, I put him up there with like the all-time like movie yeah. villain. And he really is like pretty ruthless. Like with I think most villains that you grow to love, he has this charm that mm-hmm. like sucks you into his world and you realize like this guy's like a ruthless killer too the most like classic scary villains are ones that are like as powerful as they are intelligent and i think wesley snipes really plays both sides of that character really well like we see yeah. his sort of quiet contemplative side where he you know he's thinking about the the longevity of of their company and 
the Cash Money Brothers is what they're called, mm-hmm. uh, what they need to do and how they need to infiltrate and grow their business bigger. But then at the same time, he has this sort of like reactionary side where he just kind of goes off and, you know, stabs one of his coworkers in the hand with a sword and, like we said, grabs a six-year-old girl mm-hmm. and uses her as a shield. I mean, he, he has to kill his right-hand man towards the end of the movie, too. Um, and then finally with the cast, um, well, we've got Mario Van Peebles. I think doing a smart thing where a actor, director, a lot of times you'll see them put themselves as the lead character. And I think mm-hmm. it was smart of Mario Van Peebles to say, I'm going to focus on directing and, and working with these n- not as seasoned actors. I'm just going to take this small role. And he does place himself his character shows up in enough scenes where it's like it feels like he's in the movie more than he is. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. And then we have Judd Nelson who, say what you want about Judd Nelson. I don't know. I, I love Judd Nelson in Breakfast Club. I don't necessarily think Judd Nelson is a very good actor. But I will say... He filled in f- for the he, white guy in the movie. <laughs> he does play... You know, some. there's something about him in this movie I think he does. Yeah. I think he does an admirable job. Yeah. Um, I do like the little Breakfast Club shout out that they do if you... Right when his character's introduced, you see his like boot come down, and it's sort of the same like the boots that like fold over like he wore in Breakfast Club. Like, yeah, he kind of missed that. that. It's like a quick yeah. little thing. I I feel like it's a shout out to to Breakfast Club. Probably is. I also i I really like Alan Payne who plays G Money. Yeah, Alan Payne is great too. Yeah, I I I think I've always had a affinity or a, a, a like for him, and um, yeah, he's really solid in this movie too. Yeah, he has that sort of like young uh, cockiness, but mm-hmm. you also like feel for him when he gets killed by Wesley Snipes. Yeah, I guess like uh, I'll move on here. Wesley Snipes' character of Nino Brown. There's a lot of parallels. There's like actually Mario Van Peebles himself said, you know, he wanted to make a modern day Scarface, and Wesley Snipes' character, he's watching the movie Scarface in several scenes and talks about the character Tony Montana in several scenes and the modeling himself after Scarface. It's a really cool scene though where he's like he's standing there and like the movie's projected over him and yeah. like behind him. It's a it's it's pretty cool. It, this is the thing I think the parallels with Scarface and New Jack City. Again, like I said it before New Jack City's always been my Scarface. I've I've never really been a huge fan of Scarface. I've watched it like four or five times because it's it is one of those movies that's on my list of movies that I'll say also include like two thousand and one. Does this mean movies that a lot of people like that you're not so into? Yeah, but they're ones that I continue <laughs> yeah. to watch throughout my life yeah. because I'm thinking like, am I missing something here? Am I not getting it? <laughs> and again, yeah. I, by no means do I say. These movies are bad. They're clearly good movies, but they're just ones that I've never been able to like get a great affinity for. Mm-hmm. To compare and contrast this to Scarface, a lot of the things I like about New Jack City versus Scarface are, one, Scarface is very bloated to me. It takes so much time setting up these, the scenes of like the era in... Like with Scarface, it's, you know, we, we, start, we start off where the Al Pacino's character is like a dishwasher and then it's like this slow ascent into the ranks of like becoming a head honcho mm-hmm. yeah. in the drug business. We're already there. We don't need to see that startup story with Wesley Snipes. We get it in like one scene of exposition where he's talking about 
joining the gang when he's younger. He's already like a powerful character who's about to get more powerful. So to me, it's already interesting. We're already showing someone who has a history and we're curious about him. Like we're not starting off at the beginning of somebody's story. Um, Also, another thing that I thought was smart with New Jack City is like they don't have the lead character who's selling drugs doing the drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, becomes the lead character Scarface's downfall is he becomes consumed with the drugs that he that he was yeah. selling. And maybe that's the point. But to me, um, New Jack City, it's smart because you don't... I mean, you still have a downfall of a character, but it's not something like drugs that takes him down. It's not necessarily his own doing. Nino Brown, you know, when G-Money, his second-in-command, starts doing crack, he's like, dude, you don't do that. That's like yeah. the first thing is you don't do the drug. And I think it shows like how much smarter of a character he is. The other thing that I really appreciate about New Jack City 2 is it, to me, a much more satisfying ending. It's Again, it's like a very condensed film. And also, finally, uh, the last thing is that Scarface, the music has always really bothered me. It's just, oh, yeah? it's just like all over the place and just seems like overly dramatic. The music to New Jack City, to me, is was cutting edge for the time it was like very hip and it's still when you watch new jack city sure it does feel dated now that was like it's very much like an early 90s yeah like what was hip in the early 90s but they, they but, wanted to do that intentionally but that was like, a, an intentional thing time. like the music was supposed to be a part of it you have these r&b artists at the time appearing in the movie and then you know appearing on the soundtrack even opening and closing the movie with queen latifah song they definitely set out to you know implement some type of like music video quality i think to this movie not that the movie feels like a music video by any means but they're like some club scenes where you know clearly showcasing songs and yeah and it it plays out but at the same time it feels like you know it feels real because it's like they're this is supposed to be a club and they can cut to, and this is a movie that I think can get away with cutting to what's going on in the club. I was talking to Justin Hayward the other day Mm -hmm. and he, he was watching bullet with Steve McQueen and he mentioned how there's this whole scene where they're in a club and they keep cutting to the band for whatever reason, you know, just to make the movie drag out or whatever and Mm -hmm. all these reaction shots. And he's just like, why do they keep cutting to the band? This is so like taking me out of the movie, but it's just like, you know, this is a movie that I think gets away with it because it's very much like part of the story, the drugs and like selling it in the clubs and like it adds to the story yeah. versus taking away from it. Yeah. So we should, yeah, we should move on. But one, did you have any final? Yeah. One more thing in regards to comparing to Scarface, man, I really sound so anti-drugs right now uh, or this whole podcast, but, I really am so grossed out by, like, glorification of, like, really anything in movies. It's, like, clearly, like, not a cool thing, whether it's, like, making a serial killer look cool or glorifying violence, really. Drugs is just, like, especially gross to me. So that's why I think Scarface has never really appealed to me. And and I think, like, mainly dudes that I've known in my life that have really liked Scarface just kind of getting off on like doing as much blow and like shooting up as many and seeing whatever <laughs> that is just an automatic turnoff and i and i love that new jack city to me is so much above that and so much more intelligent than a movie like scarface i just i it, it just has so much more credit to me and yeah. just uh so much more merit to it 
Well, I'll say for all your anti-drug talk, before this podcast started, I jokingly said, if I did whip out some crack and said, <laughs> we should smoke it before we do this, you said, since it was me, you would do crack with me. <laughs> and I was serious. It makes me feel good in my heart that you trust me enough that you do crack with me. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would. If there was a perfect scenario for us to do crack, it wouldn't be right before we recorded an episode. I mean, that would be a very special episode. Yeah. No, we, I'm saying I'd we rather, did. if we were going to do crack, that we weren't getting ready to record an episode. Yeah. I'd rather just kind of do crack and kind of like leisurely get to hang out yeah. while we're high. Just like see what yeah. happens. Just see what happens. Man, if it's anything like that. I don't even know if crack is still available. It's probably some hybrid at yeah. this point. It's probably not just meth. I don't really want to do meth. No, I don't want to do meth. I feel either. like there's a difference. Yeah. No one ever says like doing meth is like being aboard the Enterprise. No, no one really yeah. does at all. So the um, moral of this story is just smoke pot. I'd be less scared <laughs> to smoke crack than I would marijuana. <laughs> uh, man. Okay. Really? Pot makes me weird. Do you know what crack does to you? I don't, but okay. well. you know, there's less fear in the unknown. <laughs> For me anyway. So that wraps up our talk on New Jack City. We should get into our picks of the week. Yeah, we really should. So your pick of the week was Demolition Man. It was. Connected to New Jack City via Wesley Snipes. Yes. What can you tell me about Demolition Man? You know this about me, that I'm guilty of being sucked into an action movie here or there. But a futuristic dystopian movie that satirizes itself? Oh yeah, that's going to suck me in. Demolition Man may not be rocket science, but why it's awesome is because it appeals to fun action flick fans while not completely dumbing down a plotline. So this movie from 1993 stars Sylvester Stallone, as we said before, Wesley Snipes, and Sandra Bullock just a year before her massive success in Jean de Bont's Speed, uh, along with a whole host of who's who supporting cast like Benjamin Bratt, Dennis Leary, and Rob Schneider, and Bill Cobbs, uh, who I mentioned before. He's the old man in New Jack City who guns down um, Snipes' Nino Brown in the film's final scene. So the general plot of the movie is after this traumatic incident involving a psychotic criminal named Simon Phoenix who snipes, he tricks police into thinking that Stallone's rough and tough cop character, John Spartan, is responsible for the deaths of multiple innocent citizens. Both he, John Spartan, or both Stallone and Snipes are arrested and cryogenically frozen in a futuristic prison program. And 30 years later, the city of Los Angeles has suffered a devastating earthquake only to rebuild itself in the vision of a secret megalomaniac and sublimely fascist leader projecting this idea of peace and love and harmony, but all you have to do is give up your rights to live freely. All the while, this secret resistance is growing beneath the city, and that's led by uh, Dennis Leary. And they're trying to rise up against this brave new world where you can't curse, eat bad foods, have sex, etc., etc., and this leader of the not-so-free city of San Angeles, which is now called, unleashes Snipes's, uh Simon Phoenix to wreak havoc on an unsuspecting city while the impotent police force who hasn't seen real crime in over 30 years is left completely clueless. And in order to fight the likes of Phoenix, police decide to unfreeze the only remaining 20th century cop to deal with a 20th century 
vicious criminal. That being Sylvester Stallone. So basically, send a maniac to catch a maniac is what we're going for here. This riotous pair of Stallone and Snipes really does fill the screen, and it's not just their massively large biceps. Putting two testosterone-filled, badass, unafraid of violent transplants from another century into a comedically, blissfully ignorant future world, you can kind of imagine how big this film could turn into. There are lots of explosions and firepower, but this is kind of offset by the ironic reactions from law enforcement who've never really seen violence like this. And Bullock's character is particularly charming, I think, um, because she longs for, you know, the quote-unquote action of the 20th century and really wants the thrill of catching the bad guy, not just giving a ticket to someone who's, you know, arrested for graffiti. Her office is totally donned with 90s action movie memorabilia, most notably a massive Lethal Weapon 3 poster, which is pretty funny, considering we've talked about that on this podcast before. Now, muscle-bound action movies aren't really my bag, but if I like it, it kind of means, or it usually means, that there's something more to it. Like when we talked about Predator in episode 5. Now, that's a damn good movie. And one major reason I like it is because there's some serious emotion we don't normally see in testosterone-laden films. And Demolition Man is silly, it's fun-filled, but it is totally an action movie, but it has this light comedic social commentary that I like. It's kind of the same reason that the movie Idiocracy is so well-loved, but Demolition Man is definitely not as over-the-top as that one. The social commentary in this movie is is really not hard to spot either. So, f- like, for instance, Sandra Bullock's character, her name is Lenina Huxley, and she is clearly named after Aldous Huxley, who wrote the dystopian novel Brave New World, and in that novel, the main character is named Lenina. So we're already kind of led down that path. In contrast to Brave New World, though, the demolition man world restricts physical contact like sex, kissing, and we can't even high five in this world. And this is a direct comment on the massive spread of, I mean, what I'm, what I'm imagining anyway is the, a direct comment on the massive spread of STDs that began to be noticed in the 80s and had reached a major pandemic level by the 1990s. The seemingly perfect world of San Angeles rebuilding after total destruction um, seems perfect except for the subterranean folk living underneath the city. And this addition to the story kind of serves as a reminder of the 1992 earthquake that was huge and rocked that area, not, and, and not to mention the fact that California residents live with the threat of earthquakes all the time or experience them like every day. Among other things, Stallone, <laughs> this is kind of a funny one, But, like, among other things, like, Stallone learns after being unfrozen that Arnold Schwarzenegger has been president at one time via constitutional amendment. And keep in mind, we are coming out of the Reagan era as well. Now, in our non-movie present day, we have a reality show malignant, narcissistic megalomaniac as our real-life president who is despised by the former California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's really funny sometimes how, like, I don't know, reality in movies, I don't, I'm just going to leave that one there. But most notably, another thing with Demolition Man, is it's comment on how fearful society has become 
after violence between cultures and races and police brutality are, are definitely being more talked about. And keep in mind, this is also just a short time, like I want to say like a year and a half or two years after the Rodney King beating that took place in LA. So the, this was a major topic that was getting people to talk about it. Now there's no resolution given for this in the movie, but by the end, the only cop from the violent 20th century Stallone's character, he sides with the resistance from the underground, leaving us with the hope that the society, that the rest of society could possibly live in true harmony and not be forced to forfeit their human rights and live freely. So I guess that's a positive hope for for the rest of the world. And kind of lastly, and not as important, uh, but still funny, and Justin, you kind of brought this up to me, there's obviously some direct punch at commercialism and marketing with the um, little snippet in, in in the movie about these so-called franchise wars where every restaurant Taco Bell was the only uh, restaurant to survive the franchise wars. And so now every restaurant is Taco Bell. Um, and And while this is direct product placement, remember in 1993, Taco Bell was also like the lowest of the low when it came to fast food. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny to think about like now Taco Bell is totally viewed as, it's kind of different than they it really was. They really turned it around. <laughs> they really did turn they it did around. They did win the franchise wars. <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> I mean, I like Taco Bell. Hey. Uh, you could, what, what about that spicy, spicy uh, potato taco? Taco Bell, man, taco Bell is, <laughs> seriously, they shaped it up. It, it could be looked at as right. direct product placement, but they're they're making a comment with this. And also there's something funny too. Taco Bell wasn't known to like international audiences and so it was changed like literally it was changed through graphics in the movie uh to pizza hut yeah for international releases which is really funny i know okay i should probably cut myself off talking about demolition man but for real this movie has a lot to offer for hardcore action shoot 'em up type movies but it also has so much on a satirical front too it never takes time to beat you over the head with a message and i think is the reason why this movie doesn't take itself too seriously and retains a high level of tongue and cheek humor so demolition man stallone snipes bullock come on it's a pretty fun one uh did you end up checking out the rest of it or did you just start it just started i haven't i haven't okay. gotten through it yet but okay i'm i'm well on my way i promise you it's pretty fun i'm watching like three movies right now <laughs> like okay okay kind of like switching back and forth okay all right tell me please about your pick of the week justin so my pick of the week was badass which uh probably the most recent film i've ever discussed on this podcast it's pretty exciting uh, 2003 it came Ooh. out but it's a movie that takes place in the 70s. This was um, probably Mario Vampiro's second best effort as a director um, after New Jack City. And this was a movie that was pretty personal to him. It uh, is on the making of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which was a film, uh, the second film directed by his father, Melvin Van Peebles. And it was also that film that came out in... 1971 and uh it was actually mario van people's first film as an actor he was like a 12 or 13 year old kid and he plays the young version of melvin van people's character 
So Badass is basically a biopic of the production of that movie and Melvin Van Peebles' struggle to get the film made and ultimately get it released. I love movies about making movies, and this, I think, is one of the best. It does fall on a lot of the tropes of like a biopic movie does, but because it's them making a movie, to me, it's like always real fascinating, interesting, and exciting. I guess mainly to give you a little preface on what the movie's about, uh, Melvin Van Peebles started as a, he did a few short films, moved to Paris because his films got big there, uh, ultimately made a movie called Watermelon Man, which was kind of a hit. It was a comedy about a white insurance salesman who wakes up black. And after that movie was a hit, Melvin Van Peebles wanted to do something that was more like a strong black character uh, that he hadn't seen on screen yet. And he wanted it to be a serious film. And he just couldn't get the money. The studios wanted him to do something that he had already done before, something that was funny. So he decided to make an independent film, which was kind of unheard. I mean, early 70s, you know, raising the money yourself and making an independent film was not something that a lot of people did outside of the studio system, especially for African-American writer-director. But he raised the money, ultimately got... uh, a lot of the funding from Bill Cosby, who was already fairly successful at the time and appreciated what Melvin Van Peebles was doing. The badass movie shows the process of Melvin Van Peebles making Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which is about a kid who grows up in a brothel, gets raped by one of the prostitutes there, gets nicknamed Sweet Sweetback for uh, getting known as having like quite a large penis. Eventually, gets older and starts doing sex shows. The movie's pretty borders on like somewhat of like a porno, I guess. Apparently some of the sex scenes were unsimulated. The movie Badass doesn't really go into a lot of that, but I watched Sweet Sweet Back while I was doing research for this movie and that one is is definitely a, a tougher watch because it is it sometimes just seems kind of like a jumbled mess. But um at its time when Sweet Sweet Back came out, it was um uh, known as like a very important film for the African-American community, especially the Black Panthers, which basically said it was like required viewing because the main character gets involved. It shows brutality of the cops against African-American males, but the main character is able to fight back against the police, not only fight back, but get away from the police. Um, It does have an ending where he escapes to Mexico and gets away from the police and vows to come back and uh, get more vengeance. The badass movie basically shows the process of them making the movie. It also shows that Melvin Van Peebles really strived hard to have a multi-racial crew, which was something that was unheard of at the time. Also shows the struggles he had in making the film and how he kind of like almost kind of went crazy making it. It shows him making his movie, finally getting it made, and then it shows a process of how hard it was for him to have this movie actually shown in theaters because most of the theater owners at the time, or I'm sorry, all of the theater owners at the time were white, and they weren't about to show like a first-run movie that was like directed toward an all-black audience. So it was a slow start, but eventually became one of the highest-grossing independent films of... Uh, the time of its release and Melvin Van Peebles kind of carved a place in, in film history 
and I think this is a really good tribute to uh, his film. It was written and directed by Mario Van Peebles, his son, uh, based off the book by Melvin Van Peebles. And as far as I can understand, very closely captured the time period. It is a very exciting movie to watch. There's a lot that goes on. If you're someone who's fascinated by behind the scenes and the struggles of making a really low budget movie I think this would be right up your alley it has a really one of those great endings where they're in the movie theater and no one's coming and then you know he's very upset and then all of a sudden it's like the theater's like sold out and there's like a line around the block and I don't know if it happened exactly that way but it makes for this like fantastic ending and there's a lot of history that goes on in this movie but as exactly like New Jack City. It's condensed really well. It's like a really fast-paced movie that's entertaining, but also uh, gives you a lot of information and seems like it's coming from a very genuine and and accurate place as far as like history goes in that time period. I can't imagine how it wouldn't, how making a movie like this, it's like half like a kind of documentary or homage or something like made by your son, how, how it couldn't be as accurate as you can get. Well, I can't wait to see Badass. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, thanks for Demolition Man. I'm going to finish that soon. So those are your picks of the week. Badass and Demolition Man. And here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me. Because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. After enough time in life, mostly everyone deals with drugs, addiction, and death, whether it's personally or someone they know. With New Jack City as a springboard, this Murray moment kind of came pretty organically. One formative moment in Billy's life was the loss of his friend John Belushi. John died in 1982 from an accidental drug overdose from what's called a speedball. That's a intravenous combination of cocaine and heroin. Lauren Michaels, Danny Aykroyd, and Billy have all alluded to not being from a generation where you told someone how to live their life. Albeit understandable, it seems like they all feel some regret of not getting more involved when they saw John spiraling. When John was on SNL, he stayed focused. He may have been coked up, but he was focused. And when he left SNL, he he might have had projects in the works, but he lacked that same focus and just never knew where the party ended. Everybody's going to die. Whether you get a byline in your life or not, everybody's going to die. And he died, Billy said of John in an interview with the Irish American in 1988. That's the worst part of it for us. We enjoyed him. He was our friend, and he died. And he went in a bad way, and he's getting brutalized for it. He's paying for it more than you or me or anybody. This police chief in L.A. put up this huge poster where John died of dead bodies in a morgue and a big, fat, body under a sheet saying cocaine is a killer right where he died intentionally very willfully very maliciously 
I wanted to set fire to that thing. I wanted to blow it up. John's life was hard, Billy continued in the interview. He had a lot of fun, made a lot of people laugh, and he did a lot of nice things for people. I mean, when he was coked up, he was a horrible asshole. There's no question about it. But when you're friends with someone, you're friends. You don't just write them off, even when they're dead. Now, while doing research on New Jack City and Billy's relationship with John Belushi, um, I happen to be re-watching Billy's first dive into his dramatic role, The Razor's Edge, a movie I've definitely talked about or brought up on previous Murray moments. And in an oddly coincidental moment, was struck by something in the film I hadn't noticed before, and I feel kind of dumb for it now. In the movie, Billy's cradling his dead platoon leader, played by his real-life brother, Brian Doyle Murray, someone who also knew John Belushi very, very well. Billy's character says these insulting things about his dying platoon leader, something of a Persian tradition of telling awful stories about a deceased loved one in order to remind yourself to not get too sentimental, even though you're emotionally destroyed. Now, in this moment, I've always been more affected by the obvious, Billy talking to his brother, But watching it now, I realized and then confirmed via the internet that this speech he gives in the movie, man, he's eulogizing John Belushi. Suddenly, this moment became even weightier than I could have ever previously imagined. He was a slob. Did you ever see him eat... Starving children could fill their bellies on the food that ended up on his beard and clothes. Dogs would gather to watch him eat. I never understood gluttony, but I hate it. I hated that about you. He enjoyed disgusting people, being disgusting, the thrill of offending people and making them uncomfortable. He was despicable. He will not be missed. Let this serve as a reminder to always take into account the time period when a movie was made. Maybe there's something deeper going on than just the plot of the movie. Post Where the Buffalo Roam, post John dying, when Billy took a hiatus from starring roles in Ghostbusters, something happened to him, and I've talked about this before too. He knew that if he hadn't found what he did in life, he could have very well ended up like John. He didn't go that route. His path led him another way, one of more self-discovery. The Razor's Edge really does feel like Billy's finding himself, but through the lens of this specific story. That's the reason I'm not the one that's dead, Billy continued in the Irish-American interview. I really think if I hadn't found something, I'd be dead. The attraction to the fast life is very powerful. Even today, I could go at any time, and I'm aware of that. You can be this dude walking down the street and end up handcuffed to a bed in New Jersey before you know it, and I caution anybody who walks out onto the street to settle your accounts before you leave the house every day. It's not just showbiz people. Billy, along with SNL folk, even our friend Penny Penny Marshall, spoke a lot about John's death back in the day. I'm deliberately leaving out some things pertaining to that aspect out of respect, but 
the most important thing to pull from like anytime someone passes away from drug addiction or an overdose is awareness and it's not easy for those left behind it sucks because some part of you feels like you could have prevented it in the end it's about addiction and how it not only affects you but those around you who care about you New Jack City says the same thing. The war on drugs may be a futile effort, but recognizing addiction is a huge step. Anytime Billy has spoken about John in more recent years, you can still see how it affects him. Whether it feels strange to him that John's been gone the same amount of years that he was alive, or Howard Stern asking Billy a dumb question like, how's it feel to be Belushi's replacement in Ghostbusters? And Billy responding, saying, it bothered me more that John died. You just really never get over losing someone, especially like that, but just any way at all. I know this was a sadder Murray moment, and I've had a couple ones, but dude, this subject matter is real, and unfortunately, very, still very relevant today. One thing I've always really appreciated about Billy is that he usually speaks very candidly if you're lucky enough to capture him in a situation that lends itself to that. I totally brought the razor's edge for you, Justin, but, um... You already have it. I kind of forgot that you already had it. Anyway, I was felt really dumb when I realized this moment in the movie, but it was still a pretty cool realization that that's what it was. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like a butthole for making jokes about crack with you earlier. Why? Hmm? Why? I don't know, well, okay. Drugs are bad. They're nothing. To drugs be are about. okay. I I got serious with this, but we can also. Oh man, I didn't mean to make you feel bad. That's right. Wow, I really brought it down, yeah, didn't yeah. I? It's all right. I didn't mean to bring it down. That's okay. I know one thing. The only thing to turn this around now is if we do crack together. We definitely have to do crack together. We have to. I think that's really the only thing to make this right now. No, thanks so much. I like it when you when you go serious with the Maria moment. Yeah, it happens occasionally. Yeah. He's lived a long life, it's dude. A lot, a lot goes on. Yeah. Well, I guess that... I uh, guess that wraps it up. Yeah, it wraps it up. Was yeah. there anything, uh, any final thoughts on you, Jack City? I think we covered everything. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank everybody for listening and hope you enjoyed our discussions on New Jack City. We don't actually have our next movie picked out yet that we're going to do for the main feature, but um, if you follow our social media, usually we post that kind of stuff there. You can follow us on Instagram, Don't Push Pause Podcast. That's where we're the most active, but you can also find information on us Facebook, Don't Push Pause Podcast, Don't Push Pause Podcast.com. You can find all of our episodes available there and all your also on all your uh, platforms, which you would find podcasts. If you ever want to contact us directly, me or Lindsay mm-hmm. at don't push boss podcast at gmail.com. We will check it. We will check it. We will get back to you. So until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.